Champions of Marketing is your guide to the exciting world of business content marketing. Each episode, we bring you the latest content marketing and growth tactics from the most successful startup marketers in the world. Champions of Marketing is sponsored by Content Tools. Content marketing made easy. Hello and welcome to the Champions of Marketing podcast. My name is Chikadi Chima. I'm super excited to welcome to the show our guest, Joseph Lamb from intercom.io. Today we're going to talk about how to make your content discoverable, how to be in front of your desired audience, and how to tell really great stories that stand the test of time. So without further ado, let's jump into it. Welcome to the Champions of Marketing podcast. My name is Chikadi Chima. Thank you for joining us today. I'm really excited to welcome Joe Lamb from Intercom. Joe, thank you very much for being with us today. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. All right. So why don't you tell us a little bit about what you do at Intercom, what Intercom is, and um, how you got there? Sure. So I'll start with my role, and then I'll kind of get to the other two. Um, I started Intercom almost a year ago. And my role has been focused on a couple, like maybe three key areas. My title formally is Director of Demand Generation, um, but I typically prefer to focus on what I actually do rather than my, what the CV says. Um, the, the areas of focus I have have been around uh, acquisition and advertising. So when I started, we had some kind of light experimentation on retargeting, um, specifically on web, using a third-party vendor called AdRoll kind of expanded and, ex- and expanded upon that, added some retargeting through Facebook and Twitter. Um, also began some experimentation through search advertising, um, additional non-retargeted spend through Facebook and LinkedIn and Twitter, um, and kind of identified a lot of other advertising opportunities um, for future. Um, so a lot of our acquisition has been very experimental um, because of one of the second areas of my focus and role has been around analytics and reporting. Um, and that's been an area that's kind of I've wanted to prioritize as much as we could as we, um, you know, I think the second you start spending on things, especially where money is tight, you want to make sure that it's being well spent. Um, and so we, we had a pretty limited analytics infrastructure for in terms of understanding how these things were performing. And so I've been working closely with our finance team um, to make sure that uh, we have the tools and infrastructure and attribution methods and all that good stuff to actually report on these things accurately. Um, And then the last area of my role focus is around SEO and content. So um, about six months ago, we had a small little change in our team structure. And I, you know, there's two people that reported to me now. um, And they're both actually former journalists. um, And, you know, coming from a journalist background, they are very in-depth writers. So they kind of help manage a variety of our content efforts, including our blog, our weekly newsletter, customer stories that we kind of leverage across our marketing properties. Um, We released a book not too recently and working on a second as we speak. Um, So a lot of that effort is just the legwork and management of that and working with other people who actually publish uh, stuff on our blogs and actually kind of handling them through that process. So um, I work with them to make sure that the content is fits within some of our content strategy themes and then also things like SEO, making sure that it's just a little optimized as best we can for inbound discovery. Um, so that's kind of my role at a high level. Um, in terms of what Intercom does, um, the next question, we've been, um, we've been around for a couple of years now um, 
and I guess 2011 is our technical founding year. Um, and we were basically built um, to allow um, web and mobile businesses, to, web and mobile businesses, to communicate with their customers um, in an easy, centralized platform. So I think if if you think about um, a lot of businesses in the way online businesses and, and software companies and the way that they talk to their customers, it's pretty fragmented across a lot of different tools. A CRM, marketing automation tool, they've got a support help desk, maybe they have live chat on their website, and behind the scenes, they're probably trying to stick all that stuff together. Um, you know, maybe it's through something like segment, like kind of a data aggregator. Maybe they've got a hired consultants like I've had in my previous companies trying to get Salesforce and Marketo to talk together. Um, but any number of reasons, there's a, there's a lot of benefits to having a central platform um, where you can kind of have the user behavior, user data to empower and inform how you actually communicate with customers in a very personalized manner. So that's Intercom's pitch in, uh, in a short, short brief um, note. In terms of the last question, how I ended up here, um, you know, I think I was uh, working and uh, um, was you know struggling to find a company that I think I really was passionate about the product. And I think when you work at a small startup and you go through the growing pains and the growth, uh, hopefully that you experience, I think that being passionate about what you do is really important. And I think the more time that I spend in my career, the more I've realized that that is just a just a big deal. Um, so that's basically my my key thought of you know I wanted to find something that I was passionate about. Um, so overall, um, that's pretty much why, uh, I thought Intercom would be an interesting fit. Um, met, met with the founding team and, um, had met with a few folks previously. Um, so that was pretty much it. Thank you. Yeah. So it sounds like you've got a lot of technical background, a lot of analytics and a lot of data management. So, but we're talking about, uh, content and marketing. So why are those technical aspects so important to what you guys are doing at a place like intercom yeah it's it's it is an, an interesting background i think for me to be heading up a lot of our content um and i think i guess there's a couple thoughts that i would say to that you know one is uh all content is not created equal in the standpoint that quality content is really hard and making that content discoverable is even harder and i think one of, the, one of the challenges a lot of companies are going through is that they feel this need to create content and they feel like it's the right thing to do. And that's a good instinct. Um, but the challenge is making sure that you actually have that content be discoverable is, is a really interesting challenge. And so what my role has, I think, what I, what I kind of bring to it is, one, is making sure that promotion and and like thinking about uh distribution strategy those are as part and parcel to the content and the thinking about the content in and of itself and so so to read an article earlier today about inbound marketing and i think that there's a lot of religion around some content uh communities and online marketing communities around kind of inbound marketing it's all about poll marketing and i think i agree with that to a degree but i don't think that you need to disregard um certain channels that maybe have a little bit of targeted push to them to make sure that you can identify the right people. Um, and so I think what I, you know, what I think we're trying to figure out is where to use certain channels to help with discovery of content. Um, and the analytics piece is what ties it all together to understand, you know, okay, does it actually make economic sense for us to go through this? 
So an example that I was working on some, uh, one of our analysts on today is we created a book. Um, it's on product management. If you just search for intercom product management book on Google, you'll find it pretty quickly. And that book is something that we created very much a top of the funnel kind of assets, educational about how to be a better product manager, how to think about product strategy for a SaaS or software company. And when we originally created the book, it was, you know, it was, we, it was very much a top of funnel educational piece of asset, but it wasn't something that we were thinking, yeah, this is going to go on and actually like make us you know, tons of customers tomorrow. Um, cause you know, somebody who's maybe learning about becoming a better product manager might not be in a tool buying state, but we've actually created a dashboard, uh, using some of our internal tools, um, to actually visualize actual customers that have signed up, um, as a result of that, of that event. And it's actually a pretty good numbers that we're starting to see. So I think that we're in the beginning phases of actually starting to develop ROI on something like content. Um, and I think that's a pretty powerful thing if you can get that right. That is a really powerful, uh, powerful thing, like you said, to be able to have the ROI of content. So um, Intercom, are you guys focused on a wide breadth and depth of, uh, of small businesses, or are you more focused on startups and technology-enabled businesses? Good question. I would say that our sweet spot is any web and mobile business or any customer, or sorry, any company that has a web and mobile business element. So, for example, Home Depot is a customer. They wouldn't be a company that you would necessarily think of as a web and mobile business, but they definitely have a web and mobile element to them. And I think if you reflect upon Mark Andreessen's kind of famous line of software eating the world, I think that increasingly lots and lots of companies are becoming software companies and having to think about how do they touch and address and communicate and get feedback from companies and user, customers and users in that new paradigm? So that's pretty much where we see ourselves most well suited um, because of the, I think that the companies that we've seen adopting us in the greatest amount are those that are young startups that are web and mobile first in terms of their implementation. They're not, you know, they don't have a brick and mortar that they're then kind of adopting a web example. So I think that we, we could see, you know, there's just a wide range of companies that could use something like Intercom. Um, you know, we've, we're still very early on, but you could, you could totally foresee something like a Shopify or ShopScene, you know, e-commerce software players where, you know, we would develop, you know, be in close collaboration with them and a random mom and pop business or someone that sells honey um, on Etsy is, would be interested to speak with their users in a very straightforward um, and easy to use manner. And so rather than having them install complicated CRNs or email marketing tools, uh, that's part of our value is the simplicity of really having small companies really start and then grow with Intercom. That's really interesting what you're saying about, uh, you know, specifically Home Depot. Um, but uh, by default, all companies now have to think of themselves as being web enabled because that's where the customers are. Uh, online and you know they're searching for information online before they make a purchasing decision so you know from your vantage point and working with intercom now like how do you see that shaping content how do you see content evolving to satisfy this need from the standpoint of the business and then also from the standpoint of the content uh, consumer yeah it's a good question i think the the big difference for content creation is coming more from 
then this is, is, is really thinking about where it fits within the buying cycle. And I think, you know, the search example is, you know, say I'm searching for uh, home improvement related tips or, you know, I want to purchase a drill or something related to, you know, why I might end up on Home Depot's website. Um, you know, in those examples, there's probably related content that would suit uh, what a searcher is looking for, assuming that this is, you know, they're coming in from a search engine. And in those examples, I think the opportunity is for the, a company like them to develop the actual educational or very product-focused um, places of content for those people to discover. So it may not be something like a product, you know, in the case of a drill, it could just be, you know, the result of the top rated drill that they have reviews upon, but it could also be, you know, a quick guide to how to purchase a drill. Um, and I've seen a lot and lot of e-commerce players start to move in this direction. Um, I do a lot of skiing and back, uh, backcountry activities as, uh, backcountry.com is a site that I think does a really good job with e-commerce and they've got a lot of content that's like about how to buy skis and it's, uh, you know, how to decide which hiking boots for you and all these, all these various things. And I think that they've done, they've started to embrace content, um, as much about, you know, putting together like curated lists of products, um, to helping people to sky, to decide what they actually are looking for. So that's, I think it's kind of a combination of thinking about the buying cycle and, you know, and, and where that, where they actually need help. And, and for the various customer journey, for whether it's outdoor gear or home improvement tools, what does that actual process look like? And I think making sure that you understand your customers and your industry is going to help inform that to make sure that makes something that sense for you guys. I like it. I like it. All right. So, you know, one of the things that, uh, that is really helpful uh, for all people and, uh, you know, one of the things that I think makes uh, – working in Silicon Valley really unique is that people are very open with their failures. Um, so we'd love to know from your experience, you've got, you know, quite a depth and a very impressive history of, uh, working with great companies and, and, you know, being very analytically minded about creating good content for audiences. But can you share a time with us where you really just, you know, you landed on your teeth and it wasn't, uh, it wasn't cool. Yeah, I think, I think you're right that while Silicon Valley does have a lot of failure, we also, I think, tend to forget failure. Um, and I think it's an important lesson to be able to be public and not be shameful of that. Um, and so in that, in that light, I'd be happy to share something. Um, cool. One of the examples that comes to mind is a project that I worked on actually while I've been here. And that is, you know, we've been working on a way to, to really kind of show what's unique about intercom's vision and how we see the shifting landscape of how companies used to communicate with their business in a traditional retail or physical business, such as a restaurant. Um, and you can imagine a restaurant's going to, they're going to maybe if somebody is going to greet you when you enter, they're going to ask if you, where you want to be seated. There's going to, you know, ask you about the menu, ask about dietary restrictions. There's so much personalization in the offline world. And one of the things that we feel like Intercom is helping to bridge is the early kind of generation of web and mobile business communication software was very much the opposite of that. It was blanket. It wasn't based on your behavior. It was kind of blast messaging. And we think that 
that is just fundamentally a, not a good thing, and that's going to go away. And so what we were working on was a project to try to kind of break down this metaphor and this contrast between how physical businesses speak with their customers in such a personal um, you know, contextual way and how so many web and mobile businesses give you information at the wrong time, it's at the wrong place, uh, the message is incorrect. And so the, I think the challenge for us was trying to figure out a way to actually share this and we were trying to figure out a, a video as a way, as a kind of a, the, the type of content to actually share this story and this metaphor. And I think that even as I've described it, it's probably got some complexity in it. Um, you know, Intercom is a platform that allows you to do a lot of different things and it is different than a traditional help desk software or a simple category tool. Um, a live chat product is very easy to grok. Um, seeing all that stuff integrated into a central thing is challenging. So um, we ultimately struggled to find um, an end product that we were happy with that really broke down that complexity into something understandable. And I think that part of that challenge was that we were working with external uh, video producers um, that didn't come from a background in software and didn't see this kind of subtlety between kind of early software and web and mobile customer communication and what we're trying to push. And so I think there was a lot of education and, and challenges that we, we saw in actually trying to share that. Um, and at the end of the day, video is, is a tough thing to go back and do again. Um, it was a project that I went down to Los Angeles for for the weekend and, you know, we filmed, we filmed all the videos in a day. And so I think, you know, in terms of content, it's, there's always so many different types of content. And I think video is another one of those things that's gotten a lot of buzz recently. Um, and so I think the lesson that we took away from it was that, um, you know, video takes a lot of time to get right. Um, and especially if you want to have a high bar, um, it's, you got to really be thoughtful about thinking about the scripts and thinking about the actors and thinking about the timing to get everything to come together. Um, and I think, you know, there's, it's, there's, you know, the more straightforward product videos, but, and, and then there's kind of more of these overall company videos and, it's just it's a it's a broad nebulous topic that uh, I think we ultimately just you know failed to to hit right. Absolutely, I think uh, you know to your point, there's only two ways to do video: either you do exceptionally high production value, and you know there's no limit to how much you can spend on a really good video, or you do you know basically holding your iPhone in front of your face, and then people understand that it's not a professional quality video. And, you know, like anything that falls in between those two is kind of, you know, you, there's a lot of risk in that. So I, I totally see your point about video being very difficult. And, and like you said, it is hard to go back after the fact and, and make changes. So. Yeah. I mean, I think there's kind of like the, on the lo-fi end of the spectrum, there's like the stick figure animation describer videos, which I feel like were all the rage maybe three or four years ago. Mm -hmm. um, I don't see those on startups websites as much these days, but that's another example of where it's like pretty basic. Like there's no live actor selection. Uh, there's, you know, there's no like fancy camera techniques. It's like stick figures describing a product. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I, I'm with you. It's, it's a tough thing to get right. So, so you said that uh, video is not, your, or this specific uh, experience with video was not the way to go. So today, what are the key elements of your company's online marketing strategy? Yeah, so our content has been really started with our blog. And I think that that's a really logical place for a lot of companies to begin their content and experimentation and try to find their voice and try to build an audience. So 
before I'd even started, um, we, one of the people that, uh, focuses actually on our blog pretty much full time and helps write our book, um, was brought on board and he's one of the two folks that works for me. And his, again, he's a background as a journalist. And so he started as our managing editor of our blog. Um, and you know, he, we basically made it a bet at that point in time at the company that we were going to focus on content and high quality content. Um, and you know, he's somebody who has 20 years of experience as a journalist. I think that that's a pretty different background than you would get from a traditional content marketing manager that you would find a job ad for. Um, and I think that, unique perspective is what I think has allowed us to be successful in many ways because quality is one of the big things that I would say that makes such a big difference and what's led to Intercom's content being well, re- well received. Um, we've, we're really tough on ourselves about what we actually publish, whether that's on a, a blog post or even a tweet. Um, so for us, our blog has really been the foundation of our content and um, that's where we kind of start to experiment with different topics and uh, you know start to kind of play with you know different guest blogs and start to build out from there. Um, branching out from the blog, um, you know, the other areas of content strategy that we've got in place um, include things like organic social media. Um, I think that we're still struggling to find the right implementation for that. Um, you know, we've, we've kind of started in more recently done some experimentations with, and we had an AMA um, actually as a follow-up to the book that we created um, and we had, uh, one of the co-founders of the company who was actually a primary author of the book ask, you know, be available to answer questions that people had about the book and product management and product strategy. So that was one of the kind of earlier experiments we've done around social, but in general, I do think that social is such a tough challenge. Um, we monitor it closely. We get a lot of support requests. Um, and that's, that's one of the things that we, uh, definitely keep an eye out for people who have questions or problems. Um, and, uh, we definitely try to share the, the positive tweets and, and, and positive social mentions through, uh, we have a customer's page that, you know, collects some of our tweets. Um, but I think that's, you know, organic social scenario that's is a tricky one to, to dial in in itself. Um, and then beyond that, I think a lot of our marketing is, is comes from our website. Um, about six months ago, we transitioned Intercon from being sold as a platform available to purchase, you know, basically purchase depending upon how many users you were tracking in your product, um, to now we sell it via package. And if you go to intercom.io, which is our website, you'll get a flavor for how that's kind of manifested itself. So we try to make it pretty clear that intercom is a broad platform, but there's a lot of distinct use cases or jobs that you would hire um, intercom for. So we're big believers in the jobs to be done methodology, which is something that came out of Clayton Christensen um, of, of Harvard and other fame. Um, it's come out of his research work. And so we've basically done a lot of serious customer analysis and working actually, you know, working with external companies to help validate this. Um, and that, that's kind of built a lot. That's basically set the stage for a lot of the content that we've created over the last six months. And those are dedicated pages that describe how intercom can be used for those specific uses. Um, so acquire, observe, support. These are just a name of a few of those packages uh, that you can see on our website. So I think that in terms of, you know, where I definitely believe in the inbound part of the inbound marketing philosophy is giving prospects or potential customers a great opportunity to learn about what you do just on their own. And I think that that's really important both because it scales 
in a way that human people, like say a sales representative, may not scale as quickly um, or may not be up at any random point of t- in time in the world uh, when they happen to be hitting our website. And then again, they, you know, sets the gets them interested and in understand what's unique about us and allows them to learn about our pricing and all that sort of stuff to the point where they actually become a customer. So I would say that those are kind of the big areas of focus for us in terms of content and where our marketing kind of builds from. Um, you know, some other areas we, you know, we've got things like events that we're doing and user groups and public relations and some some other things around content syndication. But uh, those are kind of the big big blocks. You know, there was something I really liked that you said a few minutes ago um, about uh, the importance of making great content discoverable. So, you know, to somebody who's starting off and they don't have much of a budget or they have no budget, but they understand the value of content marketing and, and creating content to tell their story, how would you recommend that they have good content and, and make it discoverable given the constraints that uh, they have? I think that the big piece is not trying to go too broad uh, or feel like your runaway success is going to come tomorrow. And by that, I mean there's a certain element of discipline and dedication and consistency that I find both in life and in business is it's pretty much hard to get away from. Um, to be good at something, this is kind of the Malcolm Gladwell 10,000 hours thing you need to really spend some time at it. And I think if you look at any company that does content marketing well, Priceonomics is another one that I, I just particularly love. You know, like their blog, I would say that most people have probably seen a post somewhere, whether it's Reddit or Hacker News. And they've got really good content and they blog about really interesting things. Um, but they've made investments in the people to be able to create that content and are consistent and really create a lot of thoughtful, detailed things. So I think that my first point, again, is just around consistency. Um, you know, people are habitual. And while you can certainly, you know, make it easy for habits to form, like, you know, having a weekly newsletter that just sends you the latest posts, which is something that we do, or maybe have an RSS, um, if anyone still reading, uses an RSS reader out there. Um, those are some ways that you can, you know, make sure that people can easily discover that content. But you know, I think you got to set up a basic amount of time that's realistic. Um, maybe that's one post a month. Um, you know, that's that's pretty sparing. Um, that's not going to, you know, probably build you too much. Um, but it can, if those are high quality posts, that that could potentially make a big difference. Um, so I think consistency is a, is the main thing. Is finding a cadence that feels right based upon the resources you've got. Um, so yeah, I would start with that. Uh, the second piece, I think, is just finding your expertise and your, your your unique voice. So for us, we've a lot of the background of our founding team of Intercom is just really they're strong product people. Um, they they're they're passionate about product strategy. They think about product management and UX and uh, usability and all of the various components of building good products. And so for us, that was a logical starting point. And if you take a look at our blog, you'll notice a lot of our content has branched off of that central area. So I think making sure in a best case scenario, that expertise maps to um, what you actually do. You know, I've read articles at Priceonomics about the homeless population in San Francisco. I found those super interesting, but it doesn't really help me or reinforce the fact that Priceonomics is like searching 
like prices, historical price rates for Craigslist type services. So I think that there's a there's a fine balance there of making sure that that expertise overlaps with something that your potential customer audience is also interested in or wants to hear about. So it's about like the funnel, right? That uh, you don't want to have people at the top of your funnel who have no business down at the bottom. Exactly. And so I've actually, I mean, in my, in my example, like I'm, you know, I'm, I am interested to learn about the homeless population in San Francisco because I live here and I think it's, it's a, something to be aware of as a citizen of the city, but um, it doesn't really have anything to do with Priceonomics, the product. Um, and so, yeah, I think, you know, that funnel starts with awareness and education um, and hopefully that awareness and education leads down to an eventual tool or solution that your company or service offers. You know, and so for uh, us, that product management book was that top of funnel asset that leads down to how you can use Intercom to get user feedback in a product management type context. I didn't even know that Priceonomics was a product. Mm-hmm. That just goes to show you how, how um, good content uh, for the wrong audience can, can be quite detrimental, I think or at least a distraction because I do love priceonomics content. And as you said, uh, if you spend any amount of time online, you, you come into their content, come in contact with their content, but I really had no idea there was a product. So yeah, I think, uh, I think that that's a really salient point there. Yeah. So I think the last thing I was just going to say about just kind of getting things off the ground is quality over quantity. And by that, I feel like there was a point in time and this is kind of in the, if you, if anyone's familiar with SEO, some of the Panda updates that Google made to its algorithm, um, changes that they did about reducing the search ranking of low quality content farms. And there were a bunch of these, maybe five, maybe even less, fewer than five years ago. And their focus was on relatively high volume, low quality content. Demand Media, I think, was behind one of these, like about.com. Um, if you ever looked for like, any like how to uh, basic search query, um, you've often probably theme- seen their results. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're pages that are created that are pretty low quality. Um, they're not inaccurate, but they're not particularly unique or interesting. Um, they're not the that, best answer to the question. They're just the most uh, searchable. Exactly. And you know they've, they've got tons of them. And again, this this heyday is, I think, thankfully come and gone mostly. Um, but I think that there's a lot of people that still maybe haven't realized this shift has been so fundamental. And so I think there's, you know, to my point about, you know, maybe maybe one post a month is enough. I would I would say it's from from what we've seen based on our blogging success, one killer post can have well more than the impact of ten mediocre posts. And so. I think the takeaway is to try to think about across your expertise areas, what's of interest to your customers, and again, something that's actually a unique perspective in the world. What can you actually say or do that's going to be both maybe informative, maybe you want to be a little provocative, you know, whatever the angle is that makes sense for you. Um, But I would focus on, you know, being deliberate and thoughtful is, is going to go a long way. And I think one of the things that I did in my earlier years that I think I failed with was when you start to think about SEO and, and trying to think about keyword opportunities and thinking about inbound content for search, um, you might see something that's pretty highly searched, you know, very popular and see, you know, your eyes widen up a little bit in those opportunities and say, yeah, we should go after this. But 
there's kind of this sliding spectrum of volume versus relevance. And this is kind of where the long tail of search is so key. You know, we've created blog posts that are three years old that still get tons of traffic because it's super related, it's very focused, and it's very interesting. It's still relevant three years later. And so I think that's where there's kind of these compounding returns is how uh, it's another um, blog that I've read about how they talk about content, compounding returns of good content. Um, I'm such a believer in that. And that's where I think being thoughtful is going to go a long way. Yeah, we've definitely talked uh, in the past about evergreen content and that compounding return of uh, having basically eternal value where it doesn't get old and it is it has a new audience for the same material over and over and over again. So um, investing in that in that uh, that uh, evergreen content, you'd say, is one of the the best ways to get started. Yeah, I definitely think so. I mean, I think that evergreen sometimes, when I interpret that term, sometimes means um, like brand new. It's never been heard of before. Um, I also think that it's okay to be not as lofty or ambitious, you know. And I don't mean to like talk yourself off of like maybe something more monumental in terms of the content. But uh, this is something we, we've kind of deliberated back and forth when we think about stuff that publishes on our blog, but it could just even be something that's just relatedly or useful. Um, it, it, so I'll, I'll use an example. Um, we, we created a post recently about SAS fundraising metrics that was from our head of finance. And um, it was just something that he'd learned over the years of going through kind of fundraising opportunities and working with VCs and the kind of metrics that you need to prepare to kind of have your house in order. And it's not that exhaustive or thorough, but it's, it's also just like very helpful and useful to somebody who would be in that sort of situation, um, hopefully now or in the future. So I definitely, I, sometimes evergreen to, to me feels like intimidating because it's like it's net new to the world. Um, that's just my, my spin on it all. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. That makes perfect sense. That makes perfect sense. Um, someone else spoke about finding the white spaces. So, uh, yeah, there's a, a lot of color analogies that we can throw around in terms of content and yeah. uh, different, different colors mean, mean different things to different folks. So I definitely see where you're coming from. So, you know, kind of in closing, like, uh, what's a, what's a book or a blog or someone who influences you and, uh, and, uh, and, you know, that you would recommend to somebody who's starting out on the content journey? I think that having a background that's more technical is going to position you in a really interesting light um, for content. And I think it's easy when you think about marketing channels and different tactics to kind of downplay the effectiveness of marketing content um, or devalue it. And I've definitely been at companies where it was a battle um, to get the cultural organizational investment in content being a good thing because as, as even though I mentioned earlier in the call, we're now starting to build dashboards. We're now in a more mature state. We have over hundred employees. We have over $30 million in funding. We're, we're, you know, a big guy in the scale of some startups. And so I think in the early days, you're not going to have that stuff. Um, so it's, it's more kind of faith-based ju- judgments that you're going to need. And so to the point about being technical, I think that um, the more that you can understand the analytics and foundation of it is the, the better. And one of the big things that I think is, is a powerful thing for kind of content analytics mm-hmm. is around SEO. And so a company that I've always admired in this space is Moz, formerly SEO Moz, for those that have uh, know their previous name. And so for them, I think that they've 
they've kind of been around for a really long period of time to see how content discovery and how search has really transformed the internet. Um, and still today, it's changing a little bit on mobile devices. I think things are a little trickier from in terms of like browser search not being as prominent. But at least on the web um, and the desktop web, search is still pretty important in terms of how people find stuff. And so thinking about SEO is, is one of the, the best ways, I think, without any advertising spend, without any acquisition, any push marketing that you throw out there to, find, to, to make something good. Um, and so I think understanding even like how, how redirects work and like what is basic metadata and like what's the basic, you know, kind of white hat stuff that you can do that's not going to be shady and not going to get cut off by Google. Um, I think that there's a lot of people who hear the word SEO and they hear the, think of this kind of cat and mouse game, the kind of demand media type sites that are just trying to be one jump ahead from the next algorithm change. And that's very much not what I'm talking about. I think SEO is about thinking about good content and making that content as easily discoverable as possible for people who want to find that content. And with a reasonable set of frame of mind, I think you can think about keywords and think about metadata in terms of how you actually put that whole thing together, make sure that people can actually find it. That's awesome. That's really awesome. So um, if people are interested in... Uh, what you're doing at Intercom or have uh, further questions, how's, how's the best way for them to get a hold of you? Yeah, so I would say the first, if you want to learn more about Intercom, um, you can head out, check out our website, and the URL again is intercom.io. Um, our blog is also a pretty good source of content. I mentioned that on the, on the call here, uh, and that is blog.intercom.io. And then lastly, if you want to reach out to me, feel free to just send me an email directly. Um, my name's I'm Joe, J-O-E, at intercom.io. That's a nice one. <laughs> yeah. There's person, a second Joe 100, 100 here, but I got here first. Nice, nice. Awesome, awesome. Well, I really do appreciate everything you have told us, um, especially uh, what's going to stick with me is just making your content discoverable. And like you just said about you know the people who it's intended for, making it easy for them to find the analogy of playing a cat and ga- a cat and mouse game with, with Google, you know, um, I think we're coming out of an era, like you said, with this, uh, very, uh, run of the mill content and content farms where, uh, quantity was prized over quality, but now, you know, uh, the, the value of telling a really authentic story and, and creating something meaningful to the audience you know, that's never going to go away and, and that's uh, totally fine. So that's what search engines existed for. And, uh, these algorithmic changes are, are helping to bring audiences to good content, to pull them to good content. So I really appreciate how you are able to encapsulate that and how you're able to phrase it. Yeah. Glad to help. All right, Joe. Well, um, again, want to thank you for your generosity, for your wisdom and for your time. And uh, we will be uh, catching up with you soon. Sounds good. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the Champions of Marketing podcast brought to you by Content Tools. At Content Tools, we fuel your business growth with efficiently automated content marketing. Plan and schedule the content you need. We take care of the rest. Research, copy editing, SEO, and more. 
visit our blog at contenttools.com and subscribe to our email newsletter to receive the latest marketing hacks from the industry's rising stars. Content Tools, content marketing made easy.